All right, it's the first to ten the podcast. I'm Matt Hayes on the Saturday Down South Podcast Network. We're coming at you loud and proud, talking all things SEC ball. Got a big show today. Got a lot to get into. Some key games on the schedule. More coaches on that Reddit hot seat. Weekly picks. Killing it, people. Killing it. And a special guest who knows the famed Florida-Georgia game better than just about anybody. This guy has lived it for almost 50-plus years. First, though, let's get into a little house cleaning. Bud Light, the tailgate tour, hit several incredible sites this season. And wouldn't you know it, the next stop is in beautiful downtown Jacksonville for the Florida-Georgia game. Or, if you're from Athens, the Georgia-Florida game. All right, now, the event starts at 11 a.m., and if you're at that Florida-Georgia game, you're going to be there well before 11 a.m. So head on over to any time between 11 a.m. and kickoff, which is 3.30, of course, every year, never changes. Got to be that way because if it's ever a night game, God only knows what happens with those fans there. The first 600 guests will receive two complimentary 16-ounce Bud Lights. There are TVs broadcasting games all day, tailgate games, lots of food and drink. Bud Light's a proud sponsor of the Florida Gators, and you must be 21 years old, everyone. And you better believe security will be checking IDs at the door. All right, now let's move to our very special guest, Pat Dooley, columnist at the Gainesville Sun. Pat's seen, I don't know, probably 12,000 of these Florida-Georgia games. Knows that situation better than anybody. Big, big game this weekend, Pat, uh, for a lot of different reasons. Let's first stick to the field, although I guess... With the field, it's going to naturally, you know, filter into the Jim McElwain situation. Can this Florida team win this game? And you've you've been in this situation long enough to know that in this game, the best team doesn't always win. No, it, it, several times. I mean, I think for the most part, the best team has won, but there's been a lot of chances for teams to pull the upset. I, nobody as a 14 point underdog, I think, I don't think is pulling upset, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, they've got a chance. I mean, they're not – the funny thing is, as bad as they've been an offensively, we all know how bad they've been. And with all the personnel losses they've had, which they're in the 14, 15 range of guys who aren't going to play in this game, um, they lost by one to an LSU team that, you know, is showed how good they can play. And then uh, by two to an A&M team, it's pretty good. So it's not like they've just been awful. They've been close. They just haven't been able to finish. But uh, that tells you that yeah, there's they've got a chance. I mean, um, they're I think they've got their I think they're a little bit in Georgia's head, but I think Kirby has kind of slapped that out of Georgia. So let's let's hit this part real quick. Then we'll get over the McElwain stuff. Kirby has got to win this game, right? With all that's going on right now at Florida. With all the drama, the fact they've lost three in a row in this series, the fact that Georgia's unbeaten, everybody's talking about. Georgia possibly being a second team from the SEC, being in the college football playoff. Kirby has got to win this game. Well, I think the, his fan base is saying if they lose this game, they're going to be like, well, why? we got to go to the campuses. We can't keep playing this game in Jacksonville, <laughs> which, is, which is usually what you hear when everybody when somebody's uh, down in this series. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's a gigantic game for him because if you don't win now against Florida, you know, what have they what have they lost now over the since Spurrier walked in the door? It's a ridiculous number. I think they've won six times since Spurrier's first game. So 
that's not a good number. They beat him once. They beat Meyer once. They only beat Zook once. Um, if not for Muschamp, they'd, they'd really be embarrassing. So, you know, I think I think for their fan base, they really need to win this. And we all know that uh, you win this game, you're probably winning the East. You're probably you're lined up to have a good shot at the uh, college football playoff. There's no question about that. And um, so it's it's a big game for uh, Kirby. There's no question about it. And again, you know, last year's game, I mean, Florida wasn't that any better than Georgia, but they found a way to win the game, and that. That was uh, kind of indicative of the first year of Kirby Smart, where they just found ways to lose games. Duels, and, I, and, and you and I have talked about this uh, often. This game, for hardcore Gators and hardcore Bulldogs, this is the biggest game every single year. This is the game where, where, where you judge your coach by. And, and, and I think we, we've seen so many of these games. I think it's been, what, now 37 years since Lindsey Scott. Um, I, I saw a story on that today, how people were reminiscing about that game. But but this game is just people talk about Auburn, Alabama, and the SEC, and how that's a, a huge rivalry. And it absolutely is. This game, as far as rivalries, just very underrated, especially the fact that they're in that stadium. It's half and half. It's a crazy atmosphere, right? Well, it's so different. I mean, I, I've been to Texas, Oklahoma, and Texas, Oklahoma is you know similar in, in the setup, but they, you know, it, it's a state fair with a football game attached to it. Uh, Florida Georgia's football game with a party attached to it, and and it's just um, it's different. It's different than anything you experience. Um, the 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 stadium is different. Um, you're playing in an NFL stadium. That's that's certainly a factor as well. They've got to bring in extra bleachers, which is the opposite of the Jaguar games where they wish they could take out bleachers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it is a it's a really cool. I used to be one of those. Let's go to the campuses, guys, because I wanted to go to Athens every other year. It's a great town, but I've come around to understanding that this is really something special. And um, but it's the yeah. I mean, I think the um, riding over the bridge, you know, that kind of stuff, and and staying uh, around a lot of people that care about the game so much, and seeing so many people that care. I think that the players get what a big deal it is, that it's something different, that it's something you're going to talk about one way or another. And like Kirby right. did with the beginning of the of, of the week, he, he said everybody who's beaten uh, Florida raised their hands and nobody could raise their hands. And that, I think that's a big reason why Chubb and Michelle and, and um, um, some of the other – and well, they have six seniors that came back that could have gone pro. I think this game is a huge reason why they came back. Yeah, and and and, I, and to be honest with you, I didn't want to jump right into the McElwain stuff because I really wanted to give this game its just due because it's a fantastic game. If you've never seen this game, you've got to go there. It is absolutely a bucket list deal. All right, so let's let's move on now to, to Jim McElwain and, and what's going on there. And, and obviously, with the earlier this week with the idea that he threw out there that there were death threats, and now later in the week he tries to back track it by saying, you know, well, I'll let you know if it gets bad enough. It's it's not a good situation there right now, is it? No, um, I think it's going to die down after what after the finally on Wednesday afternoon his press conference. He was very contrite, uh, very humble, and um, realized the thing about Jim McElwain, He's a blurter. He blurts things out and he says things he should think through. And you know he's the anti Saban. Saban is a guy who thinks it through. I'm going in there with a message, and my this message is not for the media. This message is for the media to relay it to our fans and our players. And he has a message, whether it's about rat poison or whatever. 
um, McElwain just kind of talks and it doesn't say much and talks in circles, but then all of a sudden just blah, you know, and here comes this thing. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, the Gator coaches have been run out of here by these fans. Well, you can't say that at signing day. You can't say that the administration, you got to wait and see what their commitment is after you've won the Outback Bowl. You can't do say some of the things that he has said and he did it again. Um, I'm sure he's emotional about it. I'm sure he was upset. Um, you know, yesterday he basically said, look, there are a couple of anonymous phone calls and, 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 you know, that's, that's why he didn't take it seriously, but it did bother him. And, you know, I talked to him, uh, afterwards, we were walking down, uh, uh, out of the stadium and he said, you know, I'm the jerk that, that did exactly what I've told my guys not to do. So it's basically, I, I do as I say, not as I do, which is what he ended up doing. And that, that bothered him, I think more than anything, but, uh, you know, he made a huge mistake. The the fact that he said it wasn't wasn't the mistake. The fact that the first thing he didn't do after he got out of that press conference was to go to Scott Strickland and say, hey, I said this, here's what happened just to let you know so you guys are covered on it. That was the big right. right, right. Now, now you, you're obviously around him every day, and, and I'm just seeing this from, from outside. And t- to me, the first four or five games – he just seemed like he was down, and I, I guess that's the best way to put it. And then after each of those wins, you know, the Tennessee win, the Kentucky win, like he's emotional, duels, and there's like tears in his eyes. It's almost like when, you know, when Sprayer left where he said, you know, every week it, it's if you win, you're exhaling. If you lose, it's the end of the world. Is it like that right now, you think, for him? Oh, I don't think there's any question this season has beaten him down a little bit. I mean, you, you go in – uh, it, look, in July, the the team he had, he really liked. He thought it was a knock-the-doors-down-Atlanta-type team. Now, again, should he have said that? Probably not. But um, the bottom line is they did have a really good roster. I thought it was a, a, a 9-10, maybe 11-win team. Well, guess what happens right away? Marcel Harris, your, one of your few returners on on defense, tears his um, Achilles out, out for the year. Then you get the suspensions seven suspensions then the week of the game you get two more including the guy you were going to ride in this game which was Jordan Scarlett and then you go in there with an offensive line you think's pretty good and they get their their ass handed to them so um right, right. that got him down then the next week okay well we'll get ready for this game we'll get Felipe a, a full game against a crummy team and hurricane comes and Thursday they find out they don't have a game uh he was really down after that I can tell you so, um, yeah, there's been a lot of stuff. Don't forget, this is a team that's lost three home games to Hurricanes in two years. Um, right, right. That, so you add all that stuff together. There's, But there has been – I wrote about this a year ago. It's I think kind of everybody else is kind of writing about it this week. But there's been an underlying tension between McElwain and Gator fans. You know, that they they don't know how to take this guy. And then when you add in the fact – the the misnomer that he was brought in to fix the offense. He was brought in to win games. He was brought in to be a head coach. Fixing the offense was was supposed to happen too, and that hasn't happened. But he has won games. He should if you if you give him the hurricane game last year, they've won twenty games in two years. But then you start losing those games, and you don't have um, you don't have the the cachet to say, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get this thing turned back around because people aren't that happy with you anyway. Right, right. I mean, I, I think when you, 
when 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 fans are looking at this thing from the outside, and again, fans are, are they're called fans because they're fanatical. But the reality is, those two SEC championships were built on the backbone of those defenses. Those are the guys that Muschamp recruited. He developed. They're, they were really good players. Thirteen of them in the NFL, and and the offense is horrible. So now it's year three. Offense is still horrible. The defense of the guys that he recruited now, they're not playing as well. I, I think fans see that, Pat, and you know fans. It's black and white for them, man. If, if they see this and this isn't the way it should be, then they're all over them. Yeah, I do think the defense is, is getting better, and it's very young. And, it's, and, and the future of that defense is pretty bright. Um, the trouble is nobody can see a bright future offensively. This is a an issue that they've had for a while now. It's not just a McIlwain problem. The bottom line is, more than anything, they just keep missing on quarterbacks. They missed on John Brantley. Um, they probably didn't uh, – with, with Driscoll was a miss, in my opinion. Um, you know, Jacoby Brissett was a miss because they they let him go. And then, of course, the Will Greer thing, who they hit on and then kind of shoved him out the door, allowed him to leave and, and kind of pushed him out the door. In retrospect, it looks like idiotic decision. At the time, I, I, I understood why they did it, but it, it – was not the right decision to make. And then you bring in Del Rio and he's hurt the whole time. And, and Austin Appleby, you know, uh, who was just, uh, you know, serviceable guy. Stop gap. And now this, yeah. yeah, And now this year you got five quarterbacks where they're going to find one. Well, they, they, the one they settled on is not very good. I just don't think he's good to be honest with you. Uh, Malik Zaire turned out to be way less than they anticipated. They must not have seen film on him. And um, and then, of course, Trask is hurt, who they thought they'd have a shot at, and Del Rio gets hurt, who really was their best. Put him in the game, you have the best chance to win guy. And then he gets hurt, you know, after one half of, as a starter. So it's been kind of a rough uh, haul that way. But the bottom line is that they've missed on so many quarterbacks that that's why they're in the, this position right now. You know what? I'm going to push back a little bit with Franks. I, I agree with you. He doesn't see the field at all. I, I think that's his biggest problem. Doesn't go through progressions. He's been in that offense for two years. If he's not seeing the field and he's not going through progressions, that's coaching duels. He's got to be coached well, better. Yeah, there's no question about it. Um, but I do believe that there are, and, and you've been around this a long time, Matt. You know guys who get it and guys who don't. We we always talk this about Danny Werfel. Danny Werfel is terrible in practice, great in games. But Danny Werfel is redshirt freshman year got benched. And, and Terry Dean took over, and Terry Dean um, went into the, the next year until he got benched, and then it was Danny Werfels, and then Danny shined from that point. So that's redshirt sophomore year when he really started to become a great quarterback. Um, the, the question you have to have with Franks is, is, he gonna, is it going to turn on for him, and does he have the it factor? There's nothing that I've seen to say that he has that. He has that special quality of a quarterback quarterbacks are different he's got the arm but as you said he he doesn't see the field and and when when you're in a stadium and the entire crowd is going he's wide open (laughs) and and nobody and he doesn't see it 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 gets frustrating for fans and i think it gets frustrating for coaches so um maybe felipe franks turns it around uh, maybe he gets better coaching. Maybe they, they do a better job of coaching. I, I, again, I'm not going to sit and defend uh, offensive coaching in, on this team. It's, it's not good. 
They have not done it's a good awful. job of developing, but they but they haven't done a good job of play calling and their their lack of creativity. I really think it's a perfect imperfect storm, Maddie, in that it, um, you've got a stubborn coach, you've got an offensive coordinator without creativity, you've got a quarterback who I don't think is very good, and then you add in the fact that their skill players have been out. You know, the last week you didn't have Cleveland, you didn't have Tony. You didn't. You obviously haven't had Callaway all year. You put those three guys on the field. I'd probably look pretty good as a quarterback, but that that hadn't been the case. So you add it all together, and what you end up with is an offense that's going to score in the sixteen to eighteen point range. Right, right. All right. So given that, we'll wrap this up here. Can they score sixteen to seventeen points and beat Georgia? I doubt it. Um, Well, we didn't think they could score seventeen and beat A and M. You know, everybody thought A&M was going to come in here and run all over them, and they were right there. The, the, the bottom line is, to be honest with you, Matt, when you think about it, they had six fourth-quarter possessions in those two games, LSU and A&M. If they yeah, get one of, one of each one in each game where they get the ball inside the 40, they've got a chance to win because they've got a kicker that can kick it that far. And then they're 5-0, and and everybody's saying this is the biggest Florida – Georgia game forever, you know, but they didn't. And, and that's part of the problem. Um, you know, it's, it's second and two on the last, on the next to last drive against A&M and they, they can't get two yards. Third and one, they run up, run the ball off the right tackle and don't get it. And, and, you know, I, me, I had to come up with a better ball play. Um, right. right. And if they want well, me I mean, to step in the booth, if they want me to step in the booth, <laughs> I'm, I'm available, man. I got some ball plays hey. throwing them. I've seen I've seen you drawing them up. You got some good ball plays. Hey, you know, Devil's Advocate is also uh, you know Kentucky doesn't cover two receivers, and Tennessee gets that game the overtime. Then it's a lot worse for him. A lot worse for him. But look right, at it so, this way. Look at it this way. Did you ever see Steve Spurrier get two wide receivers uncovered? No. Give no. Doug Nussmeyer credit, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, wait. I shouldn't say no. I should say well, yeah, all the time because that's the way he schemed it. Apparently, there's no scheming going on right now there. All right, so, so let's, let, let me ask you this. How does this end with McElwain? Does it end poorly? Does he leave? Do they get rid of him? Is it one or the other? I don't think he leaves. I, I think that is made-up news, and I think it was made up last year that he was going to Oregon. Now it's Oregon State. Every time a, a job in the Pacific Northwest comes open, he's going. But what job is better than Florida? It's a hard job. But it's uh, he's doing a, he's really doing great things with facilities and infrastructure um, here, and and he's got it going in that area in the right way. Their recruiting class for next year is supposed to be off the charts, but again, I'm not a big believer in and worrying about recruiting classes till they show up on campus. Um, so he's not leaving now. Is he in trouble? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as the incidents and the stuff that I we and I've talked about. Yeah, that makes uh, an AD uncomfortable. And, um, you know, but at the same time, win Saturday, go beat Missouri and South Carolina, both of which are certainly possible. Auburn beats Georgia. You're in Atlanta again. You ain't going anywhere, right? Um, but I don't think all that's going to happen. I, and I think that it's going to be a, a decision, to be honest with you. I think at some point, uh, the evaluation process, I'm sure, is ongoing. And it, they'll get to a point where he goes, where the, the AD's going to have to say, well, I I don't think this is working, and I think it's way more than X's and O's. 
I don't think it's I don't think it's the often. I don't think it's Clarabelle. I don't think it's any of that stuff. There's just so many things, PR hits that he's taken and culture issues that that's something that's going to be considered. Now, I, I'm not sitting here telling you I think he's going to be fired at the end of the year, but uh, I would say three weeks ago I'd have told you there was no way that that was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. It's not right. dumb anymore. It's 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 a possibility that'll happen. It won't happen because of what happened Monday though. But is that one more, you know, shovel full of dung on the compost heap? Yeah, absolutely. All right, I don't. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave all these Gator fans depressed. So I, I want you to relate to me the anecdote you you told me earlier off the air when you were talking about going to see Spurrier's Spurrier's class in Gainesville. We'll wrap it up with that. <laughs> tell tell what what did he do? Now he's talking to class, and what happened? Well, he basically is teaching a class, and it's a it's four uh, one hour classes, and it's on winner uh, appropriately titled "Winners and Losers." You know, um, <laughs> so. Uh, I, he asked me to introduce him to the first class, and I, because I, a lot of those people don't know what what a great coach he was and everything, and I, I, I introduced him, and then I stood around, sat around for it and listened to it, and um, you know he did a lot of things, showing examples of how you know, of great sayings and slogans and quotes was a big part of it. One of them was, he goes, uh, "Yeah, well, now this next one's from Sir Francis Drake. Uh, he's probably before your time, but he sailed around the world, this, that, and the other." And I'm like, I was, <laughs> I was just thinking him going home to his wife and saying, you know, uh, where have you been, Sir Francis Drake? I, well, I sailed around the world, this, that, and the other. <laughs> he, he, this, that, and the other, Sir Francis Drake. <laughs> that's that's his yada yada yada. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, Dules. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Matt. We'll see you, buddy. All right, man. Take care. <laughs> Woo. That's one of the funniest things. Spurrier is just, he's just such a unique dude. Just, wow. I can see him doing that. Yeah, this, that, and the other. This, that, and the other, Sir Francis Drake. Wow. Beautiful. That's Pat Dooley from the Gainesville Sun, sports columnist there. Tell you what, Pat, no one knows that program like Pat does. If I'm reading stuff on the Gators, the first thing I go to is Pat Dooley. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, Go to Gatorsports.com. Read his stuff. He's terrific. This whole thing with McIlwain is just, it's disturbing. It really is. You know, and I, I, I wrote this earlier this week uh, in First and Ten, the column on SaturdayDownSouth.com. You know, I, I spoke to a couple people close to the situation there in Gainesville, and it's just, it's, it's like Pat said, it's not, this thing was just the, yet another piece of the puzzle of the frustrations between McIlwain and the University Athletic Association, the administration there at Florida. And I, and I think it's at the point now where there's some, there's some legitimate and significant, I should say, you know, just bad feelings there. And, and, and I, believe me, I know winning cures all. And, and, I, and like Pat said, if you know, they go on a little run, they win four in a row. But you know what? This team, they could very easily be blown out by Georgia, go on the road to Missouri, lose to Missouri, and then it's a completely different ball game if that happens. Then you're going into South Carolina playing a, a, a South Carolina team that feels pretty good about itself. It's playing a lot better on defense. It's got a really good quarterback. You lose that game against your, four, your, your former coach, you know, it starts to go downhill quickly. You know, and it's, it's, it's just a number of things that have built up. 
and, and I think, you know, he did walk it back a little bit with the death threats. But, but to say, you know, when it becomes unmanageable, you know, that's when I'll let you know what's going on. Look, I'm not saying he's lying, okay? But according to a couple people that I spoke with within the walls there, okay, in Gainesville, he was asked point blank for evidence because, and again, I wrote this earlier this week at first, at first and 10 the com at SaturdayOnSouth.com. He was asked point blank because Florida has to cover itself. Because in this day and age, with all the issues with, with lunatics out there, social media, going after public figures, you've got to cover yourself. Florida has to protect its coaches, its players, its staff, its campus. If there's death threats, they have to be not only given to the Gainesville Police Department, the University Police Department, they've got to go to the federal authorities. You cannot be in a situation where you allow something like that to fester and then all of a sudden something happens. It's just, you cannot do that. So he was asked point blank for evidence and didn't have it. Didn't have it and said, don't worry about it. Well, you got to worry about it, okay? You have to worry about it. And to me, that's saying don't worry about it is just way too flippant for a guy who you pay $4.5 million a year to run your program for a guy who's the face of the university. Like it or not, it's not the president. It's not the athletic director. It's not the players. It's the coach. And I've said this numerous times, numerous times. In college football, the stars are the coaches. In the NFL, the stars are the players. So this guy is the face of your program, of your university. You cannot be flippant like that. And as Pat Dooley said, well, you know, he said it was a couple phone calls. I mean, you, you, listen, him saying it's a couple phone calls, there's no way to track that. There's no evidence of that. I mean, I guess you could get his phone records. But he put himself in a very bad situation by either embellishing something, which is what I think it was. I think he's a little frustrated. He may have caught, you know, his family or something, may have gotten something on social media or the players, and then it just kind of mushroomed into something bigger than it was. But, but you cannot do what he did being in the position that he's in. And to me... That's, and then you go and tell your, your, your boss, the administration, the university, that nah, don't worry about it, no. Well, yeah, they are going to worry about it because in a situation like that, if it's true, that's a significant deal. That's a problem. And here's the thing with a lot of these coaches that get on the hot seat. Once you get to the point where you are on the hot seat because of what's going on on the field, because you're losing because the offense isn't good enough, the defense isn't good enough, whatever the reason, you're on the hot seat because on-field stuff, okay? Once that happens, everything that's happened off the field becomes magnified. Every little thing that might be overlooked because, you know what, we're winning, let's just deal with it, then becomes a huge deal. And right now, that's where he's at. That's where Jim McElwain's at. Right now, all the little problems that he's had with administration all the little headbutting, all the friction is now becoming much more significant. All right? Including after the Outback Bowl when they beat Iowa and and McElwain was asked, "Well, you know, what does this, you know, what does this say for the state of the program moving forward?" And with his boss standing right there in the room, Scott Strickland, 
two, three months removed from being named athletic director, from replacing Jeremy Foley. Scott Strickland is a sharp dude, okay? Like, Jeremy Foley was the best athletic director in the country, and Scott Strickland wasn't far behind. So his brand-new boss is sitting there in that room after that game. Everyone's happy. They just won a bowl game. Everything's good. They played well. They looked good. A lot of fans in Tampa. Everything was good. And when, and when he was asked about what does this do for the state of the program, McElwain said, in front of his boss, we'll see how much support we get from the new administration. Let that sink in a little bit, okay? His brand-new boss, and he's already questioning, he's questioning what his brand-new boss is going to do for him. This is the guy who, who followed the guy in Jeremy Foley, who not only hired him, okay? That's number one. Jeremy Foley hired him brought him to Gainesville, and then did everything he wanted as far as facilities-wise. And McElwain was very good in the fact that he pushed for that stuff, like Pat Dooley was talking about. He pushed for it, and he made he, he essentially forced the university's hand into doing more facilities-wise. Florida was in desperate need of that, all right? But the way he did it, when he publicly called out the university with the fact that, they, that the facilities weren't good. You don't do that. You just go to your president and you say, here's where we're at. Or you go to the AD and you say, here's where we're at. This is what we need. But there's a lot of bad feelings from that when he first called out the university like that. So it's a lot of little things like Pat Dilley was talking about that, that, have, that have kind of built this wall between McElwain and the administration. And there's a lot of bad feelings there right now. And again, you beat Georgia and, and a lot of that's going to, not a lot of that, some of that will dissolve. You win the next week, you win the next week, and you start to get to the point where, well, you know what, I'll put up with that garbage off the field if we can keep winning. But if you don't win, they will not put up with that garbage. I'm telling you right now. They lose to Georgia, then they go on the road and lose to Missouri, and believe me, they can lose to Missouri. Missouri throws the ball all over the field with Drew Locke. Florida's problem on defense, they can't cover. They don't have guys that see the ball in the air on the outside. I think their corners, their young corners are good, but they're still not there yet. Missouri will score points on them, and Florida's going to have to score points to keep up. That is a dangerous game. So this is a really, really critical point right now for Jim McElwain's tenure at Florida, not only on the field, but off the field. And, and on the field clearly helps off the field, but it's got to happen. And they're, and they're right now, Georgia's playing really well. Georgia's a very good team. I, I think right now Florida's best shot in that game is because Jake Fromm has no idea what he's getting into right now. And I know Jake Fromm has played very well this year. He's played very even keel. You know, nothing has gotten to him. And, you know, and I'll hear Georgia fans say, well, they went into Knoxville. Believe me, going to Knoxville and playing in this game, it's not even close to the same thing. This is as unique as it gets for each one of these teams every year. This is the game. This is the game that all those hardcore Bulldogs, all those hardcore Gators, this is the game they want to win. It's like the SEC championship game. It's that kind of atmosphere, only it's outside and it's louder. And Jake Fromm has no idea what he's getting himself into. There's, and Florida's going to need turnovers. They will absolutely need turnovers to win this game. McElwain has got to win this game to start to right the ship a little bit. If Florida loses this game, and if Florida gets blown out, which they very easily could, it's going to get ugly. You know, here's the thing with this whole McElwain situation. As it relates to the SEC, he's only one of, get this, 
half of the SEC coaches that right now are either on the hot seat or in a situation where it's a done deal. Think about that. Half of the league's coaches. Let's go over it. You ready? Ole Miss, Matt Luke's not keeping that job. They'll hire someone new, okay? Butch Jones is out of Tennessee. Those are the two locks. It's not even a question. Now, the rest will go in order of where I think as close to a lock as can be, all right? We'll start out with Arkansas, Brett Bielema. I think Brett Bielema is either going to get fired or he's going to go take the Kansas State job when that job opens. Brett's a former Kansas State defensive coordinator, got ties there. It's not good right now in Arkansas. Not good at all. I talked to a scout last week who's, who, who told me when I said, what's Arkansas like team-wise? He said, I don't care that they have a backup quarterback. He said, that team is awful. He said, they're awful. Talent-wise, the way they play, they're awful. That's a bad, bad sign. All right? And then I would put the rest of these kind of like jumbled together, although I would probably put McIlwain next at Florida. So we got Ole Miss, Tennessee, Arkansas, Florida. That's four. Texas A&M is five. Clearly, Kevin Sullivan's got to beat LSU or Auburn. I've been saying that for the last three weeks now. He's got to win one of those two games. They've got to probably win nine games, or, or he's going to have some serious problems. Then I think Auburn is another situation. Gus. As crazy as this sounds, I'm a guy who, I, I think Gus, if you fire Gus, it's just, it's lunacy. It's absolute lunacy, okay? But I think Gus is definitely in a situation where they go to College Station next week, and, and that's a big, kind of like a uh, steel cage match for coaches. Loser of that game is in deep trouble. You know, then Gus has got to play Georgia. Got him at home. You lose that game at home. Holy moly. That's, it, it will not be good for him. And again, I'm, I think they'd be crazy to let, to let Gus go. But that's certainly a possibility. And then there's you know, Barry Odom, Missouri. Barry Odom's in, in trouble, no doubt about it. There's, nobody goes to those games, no one. And you can't, once, once fan apathy sets in and no one goes to your games and you also lose games, forget it. I mean, it's, it's deep, deep trouble. So it's, I mean, half of the SEC's coaches. That's absolute crazy talk. You know, I mean, I could definitely see a situation where, you know, let's say Auburn loses that Texas A&M, or even if they beat Texas A&M and they lose to Georgia at home, and then you've got a three-loss team when everybody was thinking that Auburn's got a chance to be in the playoff, then Auburn loses to Alabama, then you've got a four-loss Auburn team, and then, you know what, the writing's on the wall, and all of a sudden Gus thinks, you know what, maybe I'll just slide on over to Arkansas, restart my clock, here we go again. I got another five years. And believe me, coaches think like that. Don't think they don't. Don't think Jim McElwain's not thinking, you know what? If I just slide out to Oregon State or Nebraska, I don't think Nebraska would hire, but if I slide somewhere real quick, guess what? I, I restart my clock. And I got five more years, and I've got another contract. And it's not as much pressure. And my family's not miserable. And I'm not going home, and I can't get to sleep till 3 in the morning. And then I wake up at 6 in the morning, and all I'm thinking about is, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? So believe me, coaches definitely feel that way. I mean, think about it. Th- think about if you're Butch Jones right now. How much sleep do you think he's getting? How miserable do you think his family is right now? It gets to the point where the entire enormity of what you're doing becomes untenable. And, and, and that's why coaches are just, they're, they're fed up with it. And at some point, they're like, all right, great, fire me. I don't care. And, and you know, that's where Butch Jones is right now. I guarantee you that's where he is right now. He's saying all the right things. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. 
He's lost that team. John Kelly got in trouble. His best player got in trouble. He's out. He's suspended. Believe me, he's done there. He's absolutely, positively done there. You know, and, and, I, and I've heard some Tennessee people, you know, they start talking about, ah, oh, well, you know, maybe this is the chance for us to get John Gruden. Not happening. Absolutely not happening. Or how about Bob Stoops? No, that's not happening either. Peyton Manning's not, not going to coach, okay? You're not going to hire T. Martin from USC to be your head coach. I mean, T would do it in a heartbeat, but that's not the guy you're going to get, okay? So let, let, let's look at some, some realistic candidates for the Tennessee job, all right? I, to me, number one, right off the bat, is Jim Bob Cooter. And again, I don't know that they can get him because Jim Bob Cooter, who's def- uh, offensive coordinator at Detroit Lions, a former Tennessee player, uh, very well-respected guy, offensive mind in the NFL, um, has done a lot of good work with Matt Stafford, and there's a lot of NFL people that believe he's going to be a head coach very soon, as soon as maybe even next year. So if you're Jim Bob Cooter, you've got, you got a chance to coach an NFL franchise or coach your alma mater. You know, I mean, if you're Tennessee and you really want him, now would be the time to really go after him, to, to give him whatever he wants, make it impossible for him to turn it down, come back to your alma mater, come home and save us. Um, that, to me, is the most realistic shot. Then you start looking at other guys, and, I, you know, there's Chip Kelly and there's Mike Leach. and I'm, I, th- I think there are possibilities, but I, it's doubtful. I don't think Mike Leach is going to— not only do I think Mike Leach is not going to leave Washington State for Tennessee, I just don't know that Tennessee— that they would go after him. I don't think Chip Kelly is going to take the Tennessee job. Uh, I think Chip Kelly still wants to coach in the NFL, and if it doesn't work out for him, then he kind of wants the perfect spot in college football, like maybe the UCLA job if Jim Moore doesn't work out there. Um, to me, if you're not going to get Jim Bob Cooper, th- there are really two guys you've got to go after if you're Tennessee. Two guys that you could go after and you could get, uh, and, and one guy you could easily sell to your, to your fan base. The other guy is going to be a little bit tougher to sell to the fan base. So the guy that's going to be a little bit tougher to sell to your fan base is going to be Bobby Petrino. Now, clearly what he's done as a coach, he's a terrific coach, all right? There's no doubt about it. And I've said this for years now. I think he's the best play call in the game right now, bar none, not even close. Um, he, he literally knows how to score points. He knows how to get guys open. He knows how to scheme with defenses. He's very, very good at what he does, okay? But he's also very hard to deal with. So I think if you're Tennessee, you could get him out of Louisville, because he just lost his athletic director, Tom Juritz, who was very close to, I think you can get him out of there. He, he'd love to go back to the SEC. Look what he did at Arkansas. He had Arkansas ranked in the top three. That's unthinkable right now, especially considering where Arkansas is right now. So I, I think you could definitely get him. Now, selling it to the fan base, considering the way it ended in Arkansas, considering how he ran off after one year with the Falcons, it might be a tough sell, although at this point in Tennessee, you're desperate. You just want to win games. I think the other guy who I think would be a much easier sell, but a little bit harder to get is Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. And, and they could have had Mike Gundy back in 2012, and it just never materialized. And Mike loves Stillwater. It's his alma mater. He loves Oklahoma State. He's not that tight with the administration there. He's not that tight with the biggest booster, T. Boone Pickens, at Oklahoma State. Is it possible? Yeah, I think it actually could be possible to get him out of there. Again, it'd have to be a lot of money, and it'd have to be a situation where some things break near the end of the season. Maybe they don't get to the Big 12 championship game. 
they don't reach expectations of uh, of what they had this year, and he thinks, you know what, maybe it's good to just start anew and and and, and get another challenge. Um, those those are the two guys I think that probably are the best shot for Tennessee right now. All right, let's move now to the weekly picks. Every week we go at it, five picks. It's not a coin flip. We say it every week. This is against the spread. This is tough stuff. And, you know, I don't want to brag. Not for nothing. Last three weeks, four and one. And two of those three weeks should have been five and oh. So the season record now back up to 600, 24 and 16. Let's get into it. All right, we'll start off with the hot seat games right away. Tennessee at Kentucky. Kentucky. All right, and, and believe me, this is not a shot at Kentucky, okay? This is just the reality of where Tennessee is right now. Kentucky is a five-and-a-half-point favorite against Tennessee. And this is now, I mean, I imagine the line's going to climb a little bit now without John Kelly in the game for Tennessee. It, it's, it doesn't look good right now for Tennessee. Clearly, like I said earlier, Butch has lost his team. Uh, you know, you know I, I think they do some good things on defense at times. They play hard on defense. Uh, but but offensively, they're just so limited. So limited. And, and I, I think Kentucky, even though the, the Kentucky just got absolutely annihilated last week by Mississippi State. And I, you know, we talked about that game last, last week. And that was my one loss last week, by the way, taking Kentucky in those 10 points. Uh, you know, we talked about how if Kentucky could win that game, there's a possibility they could win nine games this year. And, and they still can. Um, but I don't think that one game is going to put this Kentucky team in the jar. I think they're going to play really well at home. It's a rivalry game. Um, it's a big game for Kentucky. It really means nothing for Tennessee. I think Tennessee's closed shop. It's done. Um, and and I'm, I'm laying that five and a half, and I'm taking Kentucky. And that's going to put them one step closer to possibly, possibly winning nine games. All right, let's move along now to the world's largest outdoor cocktail party because that's what I'm going to call it because that's the name of it. And I don't care what CBS says. I don't care what the two schools say. That's what I grew up calling it. That's what we're calling it here because that's what it is. Gators, dogs, dogs, 14 and a half point favorites. Wow. When did you ever think in this game, either one of these teams would be 14 and a half point favorites? I mean, it hasn't happened since like the, probably my guess would be since the, Mid-90s, mid to late 90s when Spurrier really had it going and Georgia was struggling a bit. I bet it hasn't been there at least since then. You look at this game, and Florida's going to need a lot, a lot to go right for them to escape. I mean, you look at that Florida defense, and to me, the offense clearly got a ton of problems. And the Florida defense plays hard for a quarter or two, and then eventually begins to wear down. Third quarter rolls around, mid-third quarter, they get tired. It's just the, the natural progression of the game. If you're not getting first downs on offense, if you're not scoring points, you put a tremendous amount of pressure on your defense to make stops to get off the field. Even if they don't make, even if they don't score points, Georgia, but they have these six, seven, eight play drives where let's say they get into, you know, the the positive side of the field, and maybe they're not there far enough to kick a field goal, so they punt, and it's a possession game. Even if you're just doing that, you are taking plays off a of defense. And if the Florida offense goes three and out and that defense goes right back out on the field, 
by the third quarter, wait and see how Nick Chubb and how Sony Michelle and the rest of the Georgia run game starts to wear down Florida. I think the Gators are going to play really hard. You know, this, this entire week of all this drama, you know, and like Pat Dooley said, they love McIlwain, and that's great. Most teams love their coaches. I think they'll play really hard. Quarter, two. But when you're out on that field and you've got too many plays already on your treads and, and, and you're searching for it late in the third quarter and the gas is running low, man, and your offense still is going three and out because your quarterback can't find open receivers or because your coaches haven't coached him well enough to put him in position to find open receivers, which that's my take on that. That is definitely my take on that. If you're in an offense for two years and you're missing wide open receivers, that's not your fault. That's coaching. That's absolutely coaching. So if you're in the third quarter and you're wearing down, it's going to get ugly. And I think that's what happens. I think Florida plays really hard for a half, maybe half of the third quarter, and then it just starts to go downhill. And, and, and 14 and a half points is a lot of points. But I think Georgia's going to get a couple late scores and they're going to cover. All right, let's move on to a, another big game. Not really so big as far as the national scope, but I think big for one particular program, and that's the South Carolina Gamecocks. Vanderbilt goes to Columbia this week, and South Carolina is a seven-point favorite. And, and this is a key game right now for South Carolina to show, you know what, we are, we are not in the lower part of the division. We are part of the upper echelon of the division. These are the games you have to win. This is where you take your stand and you say, we are now a program on the rise. They're 5-2 and two right now, 3-2 and two in the division. Still really have hope, have hope for the East Division Championship. I mean, they're going to need help. They're going to they're need to beat Georgia, and they're going to need Georgia to lose again. But there, there's hope. So if you're South Carolina, you've got to win this game. You're seven-point favorite. Your defense is playing a lot better in the, in the, in start, the start of the second half of the season. They're starting to get it now, I think. Um, I think you look at this team and the way Jake Bentley's playing, he has that team believing that no matter the situation, they can win games in the fourth quarter. And we've seen it this year. You know, we saw it against NC State. You saw it against Louisiana Tech. Uh, You saw it against Tennessee. This is a big game for South Carolina. I'm going to lay those points. I'm going to take South Carolina because South Carolina's got a chance. You win this game... You know, following week, you got to go to Georgia, and that's a, that's a tough game, but you're also going to get a Georgia team that, you know, theoretically, theoretically, is going to be coming off a very physical game against Florida, a rivalry game, and it's a natural letdown game. Then you've got Georgia in good position there. It's a road game, a tough game, but your defense is playing really well. I'm not saying they win that game, but they beat Vandy and go to 6-2. and two. You lose to Georgia, you're 6-3. Then you got Florida at home. You're seven and three. You beat Wofford. You're eight and three. You got eight wins out of that team. Okay, you know. Then you got Clemson. That's a different deal, even though it's in Columbia. But if you get eight wins, if you're Will Muschamp and you win eight games in year two from that team, considering what he what he walked into when he got there, the lack of talent, the fact that they made a bowl game last year was unbelievable. You get eight wins out of this year two. You're setting yourself up now, not only to recruit well, which they will do. They got a lot of good recruiters in that staff. They will recruit well. They will take that next step as far as, you know what, they are now a legitimate factor in the East. A legitimate factor in the East, like they were when Spurrier had it rolling. They won 11 games three years in a row. 
All right, next up, Mississippi State at Texas A&M. Aggies Lane, a point and a half. Whoa. It seems like every week we're saying, all right, this is the game for Texas A&M. You got to win this game. This is it. I mean, that's what happens when after the first week of the season you blow a 34-point lead and you got a Regent publicly saying it's time to go. And and I I think if you're Texas A&M, your fan base, your AD, your president, your Regents, uh, you know, the big money oil guys in Houston, they all think, you know what, we're better than Mississippi State. These are the games you got to win. And especially you got to win them at home. And, you know, I don't buy that whole idea that, you know, you're Texas A&M, you're better than Mississippi State. I don't buy that with any team. It's just a matter of who you are, where you are with your coach and your recruiting, and is it the right match. And we talked about that ad nauseum over the last five, six, seven weeks. So I don't, I don't buy the automatic theory that you've got to be better than another program, but that's the way they think at Texas A&M. If you're Texas A&M, you should not be losing to Mississippi State. So it just seems like another week with a critical spot for Kevin Sumlin. And I love the way Kellamon's playing. We spoke last week about how I thought Kellamon could actually be the guy that really saves Kevin Sumlin's job by the way he plays, by the way he's lifted that team. He's given that team a spark. He's not only talented, I, I, I think that defense, which is getting a lot better under John Chavis, I, I think they're playing very well. They're playing hard. And the fact that that offense is staying on the field now, it's, it, it's clearly a good thing, a positive thing for the defense, allows them to rest allows them to have more confidence in the offense. They all start having confidence in each other. It's just such a, a, in this sport, it's just so critical when you're dealing with these kids, and I call them kids, they're really young adults. When they're at this age, you know, it's so easy for it to tilt one way or the other. You know, emotion and motivation is such a big deal in college sports. And, and, and I think if, if one thing is not right and the other thing is right, it's not going to happen. Everything's got to be together in sync. And I think the way Kellen Mond is playing, he's starting to turn that program toward thinking, wait a second, we can score points on offense. We can be smart on offense. We can protect the ball on offense. Let's all play to get the game to the second half and see what happens. And make no mistake, this will be a second half game. There's no doubt about that. Mississippi State is too good. You know, and, and, and th- there's no way that they'll be in a situation where they're chasing points. This is going to be a score by score by score. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to lay that point and a half. I just think that Kelamon is really starting to feel it. He's really starting to understand what's going on. He's being coached very well by Nolmazone, and we spoke earlier with Pat Dooley about the coaching with with Felipe Franks. It's such a critical thing when these guys are at the 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 young point of their careers, the the, the points where they are literally sponges. You got to have a guy that can coach them and put them in the right position to have success. It's so important for these guys, and we talked about this earlier. you got to feel good about what you're doing. you got to have that confidence. Everybody's got to feel good about where they are. And that's coaching. That is absolutely coaching. you got to put these guys in position to have success. And I mean success, specific plays success. And right now, I think that's what is happening with normal zone and Kelman and Kelman is starting to play with a lot more confidence. I'm going to lay that point and a half and I'm going to take the Aggies and set up that huge game. Huge. Next week against Auburn. All right, final game of the week that we're looking at. Arkansas getting 4 points playing at Old Miss. And let first let's talk about this. I mean, Shea Patterson is a great kid. 
again, kid with me, young man, great young guy. All right, I think he's a terrific talent. I've spoken with him a couple times. Just he just gets it, you know. It's just a shame what he's gone through. It really is. I mean, he hurts the knee last week. He's out for the season. This kid has gone through. You look at what he has gone through, okay? He could have played anywhere he wanted, anywhere. Everybody wanted him, all right? At the end, it was down basically between Ole Miss, Alabama, and LSU, and he chose Ole Miss. And he was told by the Ole Miss, he told me this, that he was told by the Ole Miss administration and by Hugh Freeze that don't worry about it. The NCAA thing's not going to be a big deal. You'll be fine. He signs there. Within a couple months, he realizes that's not the case. It's going to be a problem. Then he gets his freshman year. He's behind Chad Kelly. He's thinking, I'm redshirting. Then all of a sudden, November comes around. Chad Kelly gets hurt. And Hugh Freeze goes up to Shea Patterson and says, you know what? I know we only have three games left. But if we get three wins, we can get to a bowl. And I think our seniors deserve that. Again, that's what Shea Patterson told me, that Hugh Freeze told him that. So he told him to basically burn your red shirt and help us win and help these seniors get to a bowl game. And if you're Shea Patterson, you're burning a year for three games. And he told me it, it was a lot harder decision than you think it was, but he did it. They didn't win the three games. He played really well. They didn't win the three games. Um, so it was kind of all for naught, but he did get that experience that he needed of playing in, in big-time atmospheres, playing in this league, seeing the speed of the defenses. Uh, it helped him this year. He was playing really well this year. Now he's hurt. You know, now he's in a situation right now where they're not going to bowl this year. Once the NCAA rules again on the, on, on the remainder of what's going on at Ole Miss, they're probably not going to go to a bowl next year either. So this is the number one overall recruit who could have played anywhere, is now in a situation where his first year, his red shirt was burned. His second year's cut short by injury. Now his third year, he'll come back, and he's probably not going to be in a bowl game again. And then he's going to play that third year, and I'm telling you right now, he will leave early and go to the NFL. It's just... It's, it's too bad because he's a good kid, and, and it's just, it just shows you these decisions that these recruits make, it's so important to make the right move, to really drill down into it and make sure you understand that what you're doing is the exact right thing. And it's hard for a lot of these guys, but you're talking about they're 17 or 18-year-old kids, and, and, and they've got adults telling them, look, we'll do this, you're going to be this, you're going to be this star. You're going to play in this offense. We're going to win games. It's going to be great. Everybody's telling you you're great, and you really don't know who's telling you the truth. You know, I spent a couple. Uh, I spent some time earlier this week with Jared Stidham at, at Auburn for a story I'm writing at Bleacher Report, and Jared was talking about the second recruiting process so much easier than the first because the second recruiting process after he left Baylor, he could see everything. His quote was. I could see what the red carpet was, what it meant, you know, and, and, and you can see that if, if you've been around a college program for a year, a year and a half, then you get it. You understand what's going on and it's not so easy. He, then he realized where he would fit best, what would be best for him, not only on the field, but off the field and his best chance to get to the NFL. That's why he chose Auburn. But it's interesting how he told me the second recruiting process, way different than the first, because the first, you are literally just a wide eyed kid wide-eyed and just everybody's telling you you're great and you have no idea who to believe. And, and, and I kind of I feel for a guy like Shea Patterson because, you know, had he gone to Alabama, had he gone to LSU, I mean, his entire college career could have been completely different. All right, so let's circle back around to the game. You know, I, 
Arkansas is getting four points in this game. Ole Miss has got a new quarterback, obviously, Jordan Ta'amu, who I think kind of played well against LSU. Did some nice things. Uh, he's a Juco transfer. He's not going to be intimidated by the situation. Uh, it's a good start. You're at home. I, I, I just think right now Arkansas is really in a, in a free fall. And, and, and I don't care who plays quarterback right now in Arkansas. They're in a free fall. And, and I'm going to take Arkansas on the four points, but I wouldn't be shocked in the least if Ole Miss wins this thing on a late field goal. To me, I mean, you got to take Arkansas on the points simply because of the new quarterback and the, and the realization that LSU just struggles so much on defense, especially stopping the run. And I, and I think Arkansas can still be in a situation where they can try and get physical and run the ball. And, and, and if that happens, I think Arkansas can at least keep that game close and those four points in the end are going to help. Because, I mean, these are the weekly picks. It's about point spread. And, I mean, I'm not gambling. This is only for entertainment purposes, people. But I think if you're getting four points in that game, you got to take it. All right. Full podcast there. Glad you joined us. Uh, again, like, subscribe, do whatever you got to do on social media. To let everybody know about First and Ten, the podcast. Now we bring it every week on all things SEC. Until next week, everyone, enjoy the games. Have a great time.